Here to discuss all things NRL, AFL, and anything sports related. Please give a warm Aussie g'day to the footy fanatic and America's own Corey Jackson in Outside the Sheds. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Outside the Sheds. Shedheads in the AFL, in the NRL, we're beginning to not just knock on the door, but we're about ready to breach the door. And people who name their kids Breacher, I think that's a cool name. But just think of this. For the rest of your kid's life, he's always got to think about coming through the door hard. A lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. I don't know why I went off on that tangent, but it happens occasionally. Shedheads, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you. Uh, I am beyond excited. Uh, my shaving isn't excited. The Mrs. Shed Adamas isn't excited because this is the time of year when I start losing a lot of sleep. I stop losing a lot of sleep because my erratic sleep schedule being on a time frame for a country that is eh, 17 hours flight away from me. Uh, it does things to you. Not all bad, uh, especially since I'm going to be back down under here in a matter of weeks again. So I'm, I'm prepared. But that doesn't mean that it hasn't been difficult and it's going to intensify tonight because there's no way I'm not staying up to watch the big start to the week. Uh, we've got a huge match tonight. You know, the, 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 the grand final rematch, South Sydney Penrith, the bad blood, Jairo talking. I'm excited. I've jumped, I'm so excited I broke format and started talking about the future before I delved into the past. But we will do that as we speak. Let's go into the 40-20 strong. Your Shed Adamas feeling good about himself. We're going we're gonna to bring everyone together right now. AFL, NRL. Going, let's say this together, sev- 16 of 17 in his picks. I think that's perfect going into the finals right now. I think I didn't miss a pick in the AFL. And, and besides the Warriors waking up and playing football, which we didn't even know they could play anymore, I would have picked every game. So thank you, Warriors, for going back home to, Mart Smart, to back to Mount Smart and defending your turf. Not helping me at all, but beautiful. Well, let's go into this. Let's start with probably the kickoff to last round that everyone was excited about. Again, the Penny Panthers. Uh... Being front and center, being the team everyone wants to see, the rock stars of the NRL, even now they're missing their lead singer and lead guitarist right now with Cleary and Luai. But there was a lot of talk going in, could the Storm find their defensive edge and could could they really show that they deserve to be in the top four and are really in the, in the, in the title hunt still, right? And I think with that 16 to nothing score that the Storm put up, that defensive gem they put up, and Cameron Munster back at fullback is showing that once again, Bellyache is getting his boys in fine form and peaking and getting ready going into the finals. Just like a, a, a great coach does, Craig Bellamy continues to do it. But that defense for Melbourne looked great again. Um... They, they defended their line like they haven't done for quite a long time. And I don't, I just, it's fascinating. This is the first time in seven years 
the Penny Panthers have been held scoreless during a match. So I don't know, you know, I think I think this has as much to do with Dylan Edwards being out as it does Luai and Cleary being out. Uh, Dylan, Dylan, the match that Dylan Edwards played two rounds ago, because he didn't play, as we know, this last round, was maybe one of the gutsiest performances I've seen on a rugby league field for a very, very long time. I'm saying I, the guys in the box, I at home, were wincing every time that he took a hit and he fell down. Uh, he wanted to play. Uh, Ivan Cleary kept him out. But uh, I think you'll see a different Penrith side um, this week or tonight, whatever you want to say. But the Storm, again, bellyache doing what he does, having his boys ready and looking good again. Like I said, the match that threw me off from Boeing, perfect. Warriors 42, Bulldogs 18. Behind Toe Harris, Sean Johnson actually running the ball, which I didn't know what to make of that. I was, like, fascinated. The Warriors took back Mount Smart. They got themselves finally a victory. And who knows? Maybe they finished the rest of the season out strong uh, for Stacey Jones. But the only thing we could talk about is what has happened and that was a big, big victory for the Warriors. But as we know and what we'll be talking about soon, you can't say that the Bulldogs uh, still aren't celebrating uh, going into this week. Rabbitohs 26, Eels nothing. The hoodoo continues. South Sydney continues their dominance over the Parramatta Eels. Um, Cody Walker looks like he has woken up. Again, these big teams like this, South Sydney, Melbourne, they find a way right around finals time to, to turn the gear on, to go into fifth gear, and to start powering into the finals. And that, to me, is what makes some of these sides cream that just rises to the top year after year and sides that just can't seem to get over the hump. Uh, and South Sydney is looking good. Followed by the team... And the game right after it. Roosters 32, Cowboys 18. I thought it was going to be the match of the round. Uh, I thought that, you know, in light of some events that we're getting ready to talk about, about the passing of of, uh, of Paul Green, um, these two squads were, to me, going to put together the fireworks. And it was pretty much a one-sided show. Uh I, I was blown away by Matt Lodge, Jared Warrior Hargraves, the destruction they put on a very tough Todd Payton side. I, 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 you know, you'd have to say North Queensland is definitely the surprise so far of, of, of this year. But they're, they're a defensive side. They're a physical defensive side. And, and I'll tell you this right now, the Roosters ran right over them. The Roosters ran right all, right all over them, and it wasn't even close and again, I said it, I picked it last, you know, to start this season. I thought that the Roosters were going to win the Premiership. I, I I don't know. They still have a lot to do. But I'm starting to feel a little bit better about my pick. Because even though they're probably going to finish outside the top four, I feel strong about this club. And they're playing some great footy. Sharks 36, Tigers 12. Um, at the home of country music, Tamworth. Again, the Sharkies show that they're not your parent Sharkies. This Sharks team can be offensive and they can play defense. And that's what Craig Fitzgibbon has brought to this club. 
a strong sense of, of pride in the defensive side of the ball, and it's showing. And uh, it was a masterpiece. They orchestrated a masterpiece at the country music capital of Australia. But again, Sharky's great victory. Broncos 28, Knights 10. Uh, Someone Cabo. Again, he must have drank a couple Monster Energy drinks. Nothing wrong with that. I'm going to be on two today as well. Uh, getting his treble. Getting the Broncos back in the winning side. Taking back, I think... Something that they had lost, and that was a little bit of fun, because it's been a few weeks since we saw some energy out of Brisbane. Brisbane looked like a team that wasn't used to being the place that they were at. They looked like they were getting tired towards the end of the season, kind of like what I just talked about, about about the cream, your Melbournes, South Sydney's, your Sydney Roosters. These guys know when how to pace it. Kevy's still learning to teach these young players how to pace themselves to be ready for the end of the season. That is why the addition of Adam Reynolds is so important and so key for Brisbane if they are going to do something because he's been there before. He's the little field general. He's the Napoleon Bonaparte of Brisbane. And he's going to conduct traffic. So it was a good if you're if you're a Broncos fan, you had to feel strong about that performance. I know the Knights are kind of, well, the Knights are the Knights right now. But that was a key victory for Brisbane. And and Selwyn Cabo, again, showing that he is the future of the game. Raiders 24, Dragons 22. Without Sticky, the Raiders find a way to eliminate the Dragons from finals competition, uh, to eliminate their season. Um, Big victory. But again, what is with these two teams Ending the game in controversial fashion. Again, another bad play of the ball, a holding down situation. Last time it it, it came for the Dragons, it, it came in their favor, and this time for the Raiders. And I got to tell you something, Shedheads. I am so tired on Monday of seeing Graham Ansley standing up there trying to speak of why something was not a bad call. I'm so tired of it. It is so played out. It 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 just it's tiring to see. I, 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 the thing about Graham Ansley, I don't know if that's his real hair on top of his head, but if it is, you might want to find out what is in his genes because for the defense that this guy has to do week in and week out, I cannot believe the amount of lettuce he has upstairs. And finally, Titans forty four, Seagulls twenty four. One team looked like they were trying to get into the finals. One team looked like they looked like they were getting ready to end their season. The fascinating part is it was the Gold Coast Titans that looked like the team that was invigorated, the team that had something to play for. And it was the it was Manly. It was Manly limping home. A team that has not recovered from the shellacking they took in the second half against Penrith. A team that has not recovered from from women of league round being turned into pride round, it it it, it is a it, it's bad, and we're going to talk about it further here when we go into our deep dive of the forty twenty shedheads. But but wow, I, I was so fascinated, and they didn't even have their captain, Gold Coast. They didn't even have their captain, and they played some of the most inspirational football they've played all season. Uh, so. Hats off, congratulations, snapping that 10-game losing streak. You're back in the win column, Titans. And I've got you, I'm going to say it, I'm breaking format. I've got you winning two in a row and winning this week against 
the Dragons. Now, I'm happy that I could start the presentation, the show, with the energy that I did. Because it's been a very, very sad week in rugby league. It's been a very, very sad week. Um, passion. Let's start with that. Passion is something that we all wish we had in our lives, right? Family, job, hobby, passion. It is what makes us, and I would say differentiates us from any other creature on this planet. Passion in heart and soul, right? Paul Green had all of those. He was never the biggest guy. If you watched him play, like if you listen to some of the Canberra Raiders, excuse me, uh, what am I saying? Yeah, the Canberra Raiders. I'm, uh, sorry about that, shedheads. If you listen to the Canberra Raiders talk about the first time they took on Greeny when he was playing for the Cronulla Sharks, they looked at this little guy, right? And they weren't expecting what they got. They got a short fuse of dynamite. And he took him to the woodshed. This young, this little young guy took him to the woodshed. And the greatest part about Greeny, the greatest story that I've heard, is after that they interviewed him and he just said, you know, I didn't, I thought it was going to be a lot tougher playing against these guys. And this is when the Raiders were the big bad bullies on the block and champions, you know? But passion. He always had it, you know? And I think that this loss of Paul Green has hit so hard and for me because I was in Australia when North Queensland won their first championship with Paul Green in 2015. To me, still the greatest grand final that I've ever seen. Uh, not that I've been to. I've only been to the 2013 grand final. But watching the joy as he celebrated in the box the hugs with JT and and Matt, um, you know it. This guy was on top of the world, on top of the world, shedheads. And you cut to six years later, seven years later after that, when a guy's a legend up in North Queensland for doing that, because that team, that team that Paul Green led got them their new stadium that they're so proud of and they're playing in today. Got them on the map, even though they had been a club for a while, but but made North Queensland a place where players went to, okay? And that, that stadium is all due to Paul Green and that team. You know, JT even said at that, at that press conference after they were back in North Queensland... For, from the grand final, and he's like, hopefully this is good enough to get us a new stadium. Well, Paul Green and those boys did that. And the passion that the man had for the game, being surrounded by the game, is something we all wish we had in our lives, right? But if you look at Green, he was a lot more than just the head coach that a lot of people remember him for. He played 162 NRL games, um, won the Rothman Medal in 1995 for the best and fairest. Like I was talking about, the North Queensland Cowboys coach from 14 to 20, and then winning the premiership in 15. And then he was the Queensland Maroons coach in 2021. 
Now for me, I'm going to say this. This is why you listen to this show is because I'm going to say my opinion. My opinion is not always right. I may think it's always right. But I watch people and I and I and I that is one of my strengths. I've always been able to do it. I've green mass communications. I'm observant. I look at things. And when Green, when Paul Green coached that 2021 Queensland Maroons side, when they got blown out in game one, lost game two, but then showed immense heart in game three by winning it, I kind of knew deep down that that first blowout, blowout loss probably cost him a second year at, at the helm of the Maroons. And that came to pass. They moved on from there and they went to, to, to Billy and, and, and the rest is history. But when you go to the top and, and being the, the, the head coach of the Maroons and the Blues like Brad Fittler is, you don't get much higher than that. I'm saying you, are, you, are the, you run the rock stars of rock stars, okay? You lead them. And when he got dismissed from that position... And then you saw that he wasn't in the running for any of these new coaching openings that were transpiring. When a man is passionate, when a woman, it doesn't matter, when a person is passionate about something and they love it so much, and it's been a part of their lives, their entire life, to feel like you're kind of shunned can do things. And I don't want to say Paul Green was shunned because he was loved. I'm saying just a few days before that, he was at Old Boys Day at, at the Cronulla Sharks. Being interviewed, by the way. But to me, what it shows is how fragile the mind can be and how much we need to feel valued and the worth to continue to live our lives. No matter, if, And the thing is, we only need that one person that for some reason can just tap into that and one, see if we're in trouble. And two, to make us feel that they might not be able to go on without us in their lives. But one thing we've learned during this time period of, of, of COVID and, and crazy presidential elections and crooked governments and all this stuff is how fragile our minds can be. And the moment we start losing faith, belief and hope it's 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 very very strange what the mind can do the, the 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 because paul green had a loving family i don't know what was going on you know behind the doors but everything looked good on the outside but just because things look good on the outside that doesn't mean that the major door there isn't a problem that's inside the mind and we have to, as a society and as a group of people, not be afraid to say, number one, if we're not doing well. But, but we also have to be open, and that's fully open to noticing and paying attention to our friends, our family members, our colleagues, our, work, our, you know, our workmates, whatever you want to say to notice subtle things and differences and changes that might be tipping you off to there's some problem. And my mom taught me something when I was young. She said, if you can change one person's life every day of your life, you've lived a sound life. And I know when people feel this 
immense sense of loss and hurt when a, when somebody takes their life. You always are thinking, did they send me a sign that they needed help and I didn't see it? And you can never really fully get over that. It's one of those things that will stay with you. I'm very, very blessed that I have not experienced and been around somebody or had a friend that has really come to that point where they've made that ultimate decision. And I'm lucky. I'm very, very lucky. But I do treat my friends and my family members like they're the most important things to me. If I reach out to you, I care for you and I love you, right? And I'm going to be there for you. But we need to all do that. We all need to understand that we're closer together than we are farther apart. And that's no matter what you believe, we're still all human beings. No matter the color of our skin, our, our religion, uh, our, our political belief. When If you're drowning, you don't care what hand reaches in the water to pull you out. That's how I know that deep down all humans are good. Now we're all sinners, but we're all deep down good. And we, and we do understand that we're all the same. But we all try to look for differences. Instead of paying attention to what the most important thing is, is how close we are together. So, I don't know. The saddest part for me is it takes a loss of somebody that is key and important and that has touched a lot of people's lives in this framework of, of suicide for us to start having these deep conversations about loss and about mental health and about struggle. And I will admit it, Shedheads, I've struggled during this whole COVID time period. And I think it's memories coming back from my, my loss of my mom and, and cancer with her and, and a lot of things have been triggered from it, right? And I've struggled. I have just knock on wood, thank the man upstairs, whatever. I've always had a strong base around me and I've always been hard-headed enough to never think that I can't get out of something and to stand back up, right? But it's, I've struggled. I've struggled. But just because we struggle doesn't mean it can't get better. Just because it becomes night does not become, does not mean that the day will not come. But you have to persevere, but you cannot be afraid to ask for help. Because the people you leave behind will never be the same. So if you don't do it for you, you have to do it for them. But hopefully these conversations and these topics continue to come up. Uh, and mental health is not considered that stigma that it once was. But man, what a loss we've done losing Paul Green. And, and to his family, his friends, his loved ones, condolences from... For me and our show, and um, like I said, let's just hope some positive comes from this, that some people will see this and not be afraid to reach out when they're in dire need of help. So we're going to move on because we don't make want to make this show too heavy, but it need to be said, uh, and that's what we do on this show. We're not afraid to tackle the big issue. We're not afraid to talk about it, and we'll talk from our heart and our mind when it needs to be. So... Let's go on to some other uniqueness in the game right now of, of Rugby League. And let's move on to 
the Manly Seagulls. Now, Gold Coast, I told you earlier, showed us a rejuvenated spirit with their victory and drubbing of Manly this weekend. It brought the end for Manly's finals aspirations, but it opened the door for a lot of questions that are going to be happening in Brookvale right now. And the number one question is Coach Des Hasler. Desi needed to to make it to the finals for part of his contract to trigger for him going forward. That's fine and dandy. It happens. I think the powers that be can see that Desi has not had his most key player, the guy that kind of turns, stirs the drink in turbo, Tom Dravojevic. But, but a lot of this excuse me, problem for Manly started with the women in league round and the pride jersey. Now, no matter what you believe in that situation, me, I think we keep the two separate. Women in league is women in league, right? If you want to do a pride round, do a pride round. But women of league, we have enough to honor with women that week for the women that we love. I've talked about this, right? But my problem is this. When the manly power brokers, the bigwigs at the club, sent Desi and DC out to the microphone and did not take any type of responsibility for the action. We'll send our coach and our captain out there to take the full brunt of the media and the press. That showed me right there a disconnect with Manly, let alone the disconnect that got him in the problem with the whole pride jersey without talking to players and and and, and checking it through the right channels. So, there we are. But Desi being Desi had no problem to throw people to an extent under the bus that got them in this situation. Desi's a coach. That's what Desi does. He talks about what's happening with his team. He talks about maybe a bad play that's happened. He talks about what they can do going forward as a team, as a club, and what their aspirations should be, what they shouldn't be, and he needs to coach men up, right? That's what a coach does. Their job is not to sit there and talk about who they might have, uh, um, you know, defamed, made feel bad about themselves. He's not there to talk about what what color combinations we should be putting on our jersey. That's the least thing that he needs to be worrying about. But Desi let them know that. Desi let them know, that's not what I should be doing. Uh, these are other people that have got us in this situation. And I have no problem telling that that was them. And that has caused a little bit of rift with the club. Because if you've ever noticed, some of these people that make these decisions, uh, for example, the president was not even in Australia of the club. He was in New York City when all this went down. But he didn't get on the Skype call, which we talked about a few weeks ago. He, again, let Desi take the brunt of this. So, you've got that situation, the future of Des. And I don't think any of us really know. I know he's contracted for next year. But do, does the organization see Desi being the man to lead him forward? I think for sure it is. I think Desi's proven that he, uh, him and Bob Fulton are the only two coaches that have really done anything. You know, Jeff Tuvey had a good run there for Manly. I, I'm still a big Tuves guy. But again, those two guys, Fulton and, and, and Desi, are the two guys that have brought the prominence of Manly to the team. Now, 
as we go further into uh, Pride Jersey Gate, we have the division inside the locker room at Manly now. You have the seven that decided not to take the field for their religious belief, and you have the rest of the team. And it's been reported and reported quite a bit that there's been a big falling out because of that. That, that said a lot of players on one side are not happy that the seven chose to, to pick their religious belief over the betterment of their club, and there's a divide there. But now that same seven group of players have put a big backing behind and support behind Manasi Fanu, the hooker that was involved uh, in the stabbing at a church dance that had some type of gang affiliation, not the church dance itself, but the reason for the stabbing had something to do with a lot of the, the gangs that are kind of in Sydney um, around the game. You know, there are players, and I'm not saying who, but there are players that when they score, throw signs after they score. And truthfully, the NRL needs to, to nip that in the bud. Now, that's the problem. I'm saying there's hand signs now that people do not even knowing that they're giving not just hand signs, but hate signs and everything. Again, uh, maybe the thumbs up, and even that sometimes has been called into question. You're kind of screwed, right? But that's not these kids, these young men's, they're not, how should I say, not knowing what they're doing. They're sending signs to people they grew up with, right? And so you can't really have it both ways. You can't talk about your religious beliefs and then be throwing gang signs. I think that's sending so many mixed, mixed you know, signals, messages. And again, this is a more drama inside that Sea Eagles locker room. And then finally, we go to the loss of a, a, a key member of this team. Two of them, but one major one. Kieran Foran going to the Gold Coast Titans next year. And Dylan Walker going to the New Zealand Warriors next year. Dylan Walker's come off the bench as an incredible 14 for Manly this season. And Kieran Foran is, what, two, three games away from completing a season, something I think a lot of people would have lost a lot of money if they gambled if you said Kieran Foran would play a complete season. But he is. And he's, he, he it's some of the best Kieran Foran has looked for quite a while. Uh, Gold Coast got themselves a heck of a buy. Even though it's been some rumbling that Kieran has looked about backflipping, and boy, that would go over well if another manly player backflipped on uh, the Gold Coast Titans. But the heir apparent for Kieran's position is Josh Schuster. But if you look at Schuster right now, he does not look like any 5'8 I've ever seen before. He is a big, big dude. And if he's going to play that position, he's going to have to lean out a heck of a lot. And he's going to have to get his cardio in a lot better state than it is right now. Now, he's shown that he's willing to do this because he has actually turned down his representative uh, offer to play for Samoa to stay and to train this offseason to make sure that he's putting in the the hard time to get in the shape he needs to be to put that six jersey on. So he's shown that. He's made that sacrifice 
to make sure and to show Manley that he's ready to go forward to show the player that he can be. But that still doesn't take away the fact that they're losing Kieran Forn. And that, to me, could have a lasting, lasting effect. Because you never know what chemistry is going to be like between uh, halves. You know, and it's they look like they're going to be okay. Uh, DCE and Schuster and the games that Schuster's been in. But I still think that there is a huge chance that that loss of Kieran Foran next year could be really problematic for the club. But one thing I know for sure, Shedheads, I didn't answer any of these these questions, but I'll tell you this right now. Tommy Turbo walking in the door next season isn't going to solve all these problems. With upper management, with the Desi situation, with the loss of Kieran, he's not going to solve all those things. So Manly is really at a crossroads um, for a club that was really going pretty well during certain parts of this season. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Seagulls uh, navigate these troubled waters right now that they're in. Well, Shedheads, it's official. There's a new boss at Belmore. The dogs have their new head dog of war. Gus Gould gets his man. Cameron Seraldo has inked a five-year deal to be the coach going forward in 2023 for the Canterbury Bulldogs. Now, I will say that that is great for Bulldogs fans. I'm guessing. They're excited. But to me, it, it really... I'm kind of up in the air with it. And the reason I'm up in the air with it is you've got some great coaches out there right now that are proven. Shane Flanagan's out there. Paul Green was out there. There was some good... Jeff Tuvey is still out there. There's a lot of coaches that have proven that they can win in the NRL that are now not hip. You have to be a young prodigy. You got to look like you got perfect hair like Trent Barrett. Or always look like you're brooding like Cameron Seraldo. But the, the the fanfare to get these young coaches now, without experience, and to sign a five-year deal without anything in your resume beside in head coaching experience. I'm not saying Cameron Seraldo hasn't been in the game, Shedheads. I'm just saying that he is not a proven commodity. Now, can he turn into a great coach? Is everybody, you know, I trust Gus Gould. Gus Gould is brilliant. Even if he rubs you wrong, the man is a savant. He knows the game. But that doesn't change the fact that he's still banking on a coach that's got no coaching experience. Now, we are talking about Gus Gould. Because there's a lot of reports out there that Gus has got things penned into this contract that gives him some out clauses if this really goes to, 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 to garbage, plain and simple. But still, that still doesn't take away the fact that Cameron Seraldo has found a way to get one of the biggest minds in the game to believe that he's willing and worth five million, you know, excuse me, five million, five year, a five-year deal to lead them forward. Now, the one thing that you can say for this guy is he's got some real guns coming in for next season. He's got Reed Monty coming in from, from the Parramatta Eels, and he's got big Billy Kickow coming in from the Panthers. And also the question is, is he going to lead another mass exodus 
from the Penny Panthers. And you got to feel for Pen- Penrith. They've taken two coaches now. For, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, the Bulldogs have taken two coaches from him now. Back-to-back coaches have been poached from the foot of the, the Blue Mountains. Big call. Huge call by Gus. Um, but if you're a Canterbury fan, I guess you're feeling good about yourself because they did a heck of a job getting the man they wanted to. No matter if Gus was a tad shady at times or not, he got their man. Now, the story that I'm about ready to report is definitely adult material. One of my major contributors and correspondents, BC, we won't say his full name, he likes to stay a little bit underneath the radar, he tipped me on this about Corey Norman. And I've got some history with Corey Norman. I met Corey Norman uh, at the Auckland Nines one year. He seemed like he was a little bit of a loose cannon, but I think that kind of showed its way on the field because Corey Norman can do some brilliant things on a rugby league field. But he can do some utterly idiotic things off of it and sometimes on the field, right? Well, it looks like he went back to the the idiotic part because Corey Norman has been slapped hard. Can I say that again? Slapped hard for a grade F foul or charge, no matter how you want to say it. The highest in the Super League game, And that comes with an eight-game ban and a 500-pound fine. But here's what it is. It wasn't for a high tackle. It wasn't for a fight. No, Corey Norman intentionally put his hands between the buttocks of Oliver Holmes in a tackle. Yeah, you heard me right, and I'm not saying it again. I don't understand why anybody would want to have their hands between somebody else's buttocks and a tackle. Personally, I don't even want to put my hand, unless it's that time, between my buttocks, if you know what I mean. Again, and the crazy thing is, when Corey Norman did it, he got up laughing, like he knew the guy, but he doesn't even know the guy that he did it to. Very, very strange moment. BC, I thank you for bringing this to my attention. It may have taken at least six months off my life reporting it, but this could bring an end to Corey Norman's career because the eight-game ban rules him out for the rest of the season. The eight-game ban also possibly means that he's never going to play rugby league again. And what a way to go out. What a way to go out. Butter and bread. Horrible. Horrible. But, well, I would say to turn away from the screen and people say that that's on. That's all I'm going to say. We'll leave it at that. All right, let's go into the picks. Shedheads, you know, like I said, I only missed one pick this this week for for my NRL picks. But we start off again tonight, Thursday night, Thursday night, round 23, Panthers versus the Rabbitohs. I am taking the bunnies all day on this one. I think that that, that loss in the has is still going to be key for Penrith. And I think the bunnies win uh, and, and go away winning in this match. Friday, Warriors at the Cowboys. The Warriors visiting their old coach, Todd Payton, up in up in North Queensland. I've got the Cowboys rebounding from their loss to the Chooks and getting a victory over the Warriors. And then the Storm versus the Broncos. I I I was really pulled in a couple different directions with this pick, but I did pick the Storm. I think that they're going to be ready for this, so I got Melbourne over the Broncos. Saturday, Bulldogs versus the Eels. 
I Mitchell Moses is coming back early. I don't think this is a smart decision by the, the Eels. I think it shows panic by the Eels. I'm taking the Bulldogs, even with Mitchell Moses back, to get the upset victory this week over the Eels. Sharks versus the Seagulls. The Seagulls have nothing to play for. They showed last week already that they are already saying 1-2-3 Cancun. I've got the Sharks over the Seagulls. Tigers versus the Chucks, the Roosters. I, I think, again, that anybody that's laying in front of the Roosters right now is roadkill. Because I think they're going to roll right over the top of them. And unfortunately this week, it's Kitty Cat. And the Tigers are in trouble. I've got the Roosters. Sunday, Titans versus the Dragons. I tipped that earlier when I talked about the rejuvenated Gold Coast team. I've got the Titans beating up on a downtrodden St. George Club. Titans, I think, win big in this one. Raiders versus the Knights. We didn't even go into detail about the new story coming out of Newcastle. That's two out of three weeks, big stories out of Newcastle. Clemmer, and now, you know, um, uh, the Ferrari coming out. Kalen Ponga going into the stall with a fellow teammate, coming out. The the crazy stories that are coming, that he bought a home, upset stomach. But the big thing is, why are you not at home when you can't play? Just a bunch of garbage coming out of North Queens. Excuse me, out of North Queens. Out of Newcastle. And I, I, I don't see Newcastle getting out of their own way. They're just, they cannot make, they just can't get out of their own way. And for that reason, I've got the Raiders and Ricky um, steamrolling Newcastle this weekend. So as we go on to On the Mark, we are a week away, or this weekend, the final weekend of the season. And we had some fireworks for this weekend. We talked about it. Some teams that had destiny in their own hands, controlling it, uh, and got to play it out on the field. We started the round off, Lions 81, Saints 66, Rainer kicking four, uh, and leading the Lions to kicking the Saints out of finals aspiration. Bulldogs 62, Giants 57. The Dogs holding off a pesky GWS club. I'm telling you, GWS has played some inspirational football. They maybe haven't got the results they wanted, but they've actually shown some life uh, these last few weeks. Uh, but the Dogs get the victory and keep their, their their faint, faint finals hopes alive. Crows 103, Ruse 74. Um, Ruse put up a heck of a fight uh, for their for their. Their fairy tale player, uh, you know, Cunnington coming back, but the Crows were just too much in the end. Cats 119, Suns 59. The Cats blacken the Suns. They they beat them up and they claim and capture a minor premiership. So they got the number one seed now, Geelong. And you have to say right now that the team to beat the way they're playing. But again, they've got a week to finish out the round to go into finals without any type of injury if they can help it. Demon 79, Blues 74, D's kick a late, late goal, ripping the Blues' hearts out and putting the Blues probably in a must-win situation uh, this weekend to make it to the finals and break their hoodoo. Docker 71, Eagles 47, Frio winning the Western Derby, which I don't think any of us thought was going to go any other way. Um, 
and just continuing the Eagles' misery. Tigers, 128. Hawks, 67. Tom Lynch kicking eight goals says enough. Um, But you got to think right now, Richmond might be the most dangerous team that the top four might have to worry about. So Tigers looking strong again. Swans 77, Pies 50. Huge weekend, which we're going to go into a deeper dive here um, when we go deep on the mark. But the Swannies snapping the 11-game win streak for the Pies and keeping their win streak at six up and running, going strong into the finals. And finally, the Power 146, Bombers 62, Port dismantling the Bombers by 84 points, uh, and it probably wasn't even that close. You have to look, Essendon, their fifth straight loss, just looking like a beaten club that wants to do the Cancun trip sooner rather than later. Um, a lot of problems with Essendon right now, wanting to know you know, if they're in the running for the super coach himself, um, you know, if he, they if they can't get him, if they can't get Clarko, you know, they they've already burned enough bridges and the the backfighting inside the club on the team, it's a it's a mess in Essendon. Bombers fans, you guys have to be some of the strongest people I know to put up with a lot of the stuff that you've put up with there. All right, let's talk about history. Let's talk about pride. And let's talk about representation because it, for me, is hard to believe that it's 40 years that the Sydney, the Swans have been in Sydney and they've and since they've left South Melbourne. Now, I wasn't even into the game. I guess I was because I, I knew about Fitzroy and I used to watch AFL on PBS. But 40 years, 40 years, and the Swans, the Bloods have made Sydney proud since they've been up there. It's still a very, it's, it's, it's still a touchy subject in South Melbourne, but the Swans have really soared when they've, since they've gone up to Sydney. And I've got to tell you this weekend, they've give they gave their fans a real reason to celebrate uh, that occasion at the SEG this weekend was rock starish. I'm talking, I have not seen an SCG crowd that fired up. I would probably say since they tried to kill uh, Buddy when they ran, tried to run him over when he broke his record this year. But I'm saying there was a buzz inside of the SCG. A buzz. And it's because, you know, the, the Sydney Swans got to celebrate something, but they got to also honor. And that is what's beautiful about this story. Is that you got to see Josh Kennedy do his his lap of honor after we covered the story last week about him announcing his retirement. You got to see Caleb Haney celebrate his 150th game with the club. And I cannot believe the Golden Boy has been there for 150 games. I I I, I when I when I saw that and I heard that and I read that, I, I, I had to double take it because it just does not seem that the kid has been, he's not a kid anymore. The young man has been with the Swans long enough to register 150 games, but he did. All of that was beautiful and the, that was just awesome to see. But it probably, and I can say this maybe hesitantly a little bit, 
was totally overshadowed by the play of the Swans against the Pies and snapping their their streak of 11 games. This victory was huge, too, because it moved the Sydney Swans into second place and let them control their own destiny. And that in, 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 in this time of year in the AFL and even in the NRL, when you can get into the top four, let alone second position, and control your fate, and, and, and that, that fate is playing a St. Kilda squad that is on life support, and that isn't the life support to uh, make it into the eight. That's life support into just finishing the season, right? So that is a huge, huge, huge coup for the Swannies. But they they showed out. That's all you can say, Shedheads. They played an inspirational brand of football. You know, behind Buddy's three, Haney's two, and Papley's two, they were in full stroke. They were in full stroke. And I got to tell you, if you're a Swans fan, you've got to feel good going into the finals right now. Got to feel good. Because I can just remember a few weeks ago, we were talking if they could make it into the four, let alone knock down that number two position. Now, I've been worried for a few weeks. You've heard me say this on the show. I have been worried about the Pies. When you have a team that is flirting on the edge of winning or losing games, and they've done that for that for this entire streak, right? Your luck's going to run out. And unfortunately, I've seen clubs do this where they've gone on a huge streak and they lose one and they cannot get control again and they flame out when just weeks before that, everyone was thinking they had a real chance of winning a championship. I'm not saying the Pies are going to do this, but I will tell you this is a huge match, a huge, huge match they've got coming up against Carlton because the Blues are just as hungry as the Pies. Maybe even more so because if they lose, they might not even make it to the eight. So that was big. But going into that match, you knew they were in trouble because Jordan Degoe got you know, ruled out on Friday. And the moment that happened, you really knew that the writing was kind of on the wall, that this was going to be a major, major hurdle that Collingwood was going to have to try to come over the top of. The problem for them was they were playing a team that just had all of these, these, these things behind it. You know, just, you know, energy, 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 caffeine, caffeine, caffeine. And they were buzzing. You know, the Swans were buzzing. Um, To me, the whole question is, I think for sure the Swans are going to take care of St. Kilda. I'm not really worried about that. I just don't know because if somehow the Pies find a way to lose to Carlton, and that's not, I'm not going too far out of the lane when I say that. If they don't find a way to win that game, do they flame out? Because they will be out of the top four and be in a must-win situation and might have to play in a, a, a dangerous, dangerous Richmond side. So as we move from that, this next story, I hope you have your pens and paper out, Shedheads, because we're going to break down what we can of the final scenario situation that we've got coming up from this weekend. All right? This is going to be memorable for sure. You're going to have some teams that have been flying along all season that are not going to live up to where they thought they were going to be able to. You have the Swans, Pies, D's, and Lions, and Dockers all fighting for 
three spots because, you know, the cat's in the catbird seat right now, and that's Geelong. They don't have to worry about any of that. And it seems, like I just said, like the easiest path to the to that top four position is going to be the Sydney Swans because they just had to beat St. Kilda and two is theirs. But it's going to come down to winning for these clubs. Two of them are going to play each other. So here's what we've got. We've got the Swans versus the Saints. The D's versus the Lions. Like I said, two of these teams playing each other. The Pies versus Carlton. And the Doctors versus GWS. All right? So here's what I have. This is my prediction of how the top four is going to be after this weekend. I've got Geelong at one. I've got the Swannies at two. I've got the D's at three. And I've got the Lions at four. Which is crazy. Because I just remember a few weeks ago talking about how solid Fremantle looked in the top four. And how solid Collingwood looked in the top four. But now you've got a you've got a Dockers and Pies scenario where they're going to be fifth or sixth. And they could flip-flop between the two. Which Who's five and who's six? We know that. And they might have to face Richmond, like I just said. That's going to be crazy. Because those two teams, to me, this is me, are going to be demoralized not making in the top four. And they are going to be perfect prey for Richmond. And I think whoever plays Richmond gets bounced week one. That is my prediction going into the finals. Now the Tigers, to wrap up seventh, have to beat Essendon. So you'd have to say that they would be the favorite to get that seventh position. To me, the question, the only other question is Carlton. Can the Blues break the hoodoo, get into the top eight, solidify a spot, and finally play finals footy? You know who they have to play. They have to play that Pies team that wants to stay in the top four. It's not going to be easy. They're lucky to have Cribs back. Lucky. I don't think the guy should be playing. That's me. They've got to get this. But if they lose, the team knocking on the door, the fairy tale story is still the Western Bulldogs. And the Dogs have to win their last game of the season against Hawthorne. And has to win it by three goals to get into the eight if Carlton loses. It goes down to percentage points, Shedheads. It goes down to percentage points. So to say that this weekend is going to be insane is one thing. To say this weekend is going to be filled with a lot of antacids for fans, administrations, coaching staffs, and possibly players would be the biggest of the understatements. Going to be crazy. Going to be fun. It's why we love this time of year. And I cannot wait to see dreams crushed. That was wrong to say, wasn't it? But I did it. So, great weekend coming up. Now, the AFL is getting ready to lose the end of this season two of the great players that have played in the last 16 years. And that is Robbie Gray and Shane Edwards from Port Adelaide and Richmond have both called times on their careers and are both going to retire at the end of the season. 
Robbie Gray is going to retire because he's got a nagging knee injury. He can't seem to shake it. He seems beyond fine with the decision to step away. To me, it's really, really sad because, you know, Robbie Gray, is, to me, is a champion. I'm saying he's been one of the best players, if not the best player, um, at Port Adelaide besides Travis Boak. And to see him not be able to play in a grand final for a club that he loves, to me, is, is, is heartbreaking. It's, it's, it's beyond sad. I think the only bad thing Robbie Gray uh, probably has, he's a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I, I don't understand that, but he is. But Robbie Gray... 271 games after this weekend showdown, which is going to be incredible to see that he gets to finish his career playing the Adelaide Crows. 365 goals for the club. Three-time John K. Hill medal winner. Four-time All-Australian. And the 2014 AFL Coaches Association Player of the Year. That's some pretty big accolades for a guy. Pretty impressive. Uh, a guy that really has been the heart and soul, besides Travis Boak, you'd have to see both of them, for Port Adelaide. And a huge full hole to fill for this club going forward. And then you have Shane Edwards, who is one of the inspirational players behind the Richmond dynasty, I guess you can say. You know, everyone talks about Kachi. Everyone talks about Dusty, Jack... Um, but Shane Edwards is right there. And it was really cool to see his interview, or what should I say, his press conference, I guess. But it was more him addressing the boys when he announced his retirement. Um, but you could see the emotion. I'm saying him and he couldn't look at, at Dima at all. And and the tears in, 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 in Damian Harwick's eyes showed what Edwards meant to him, the Shetta. Not the Shedadamas, though. Uh, but 301 games for Richmond. The most by any indigenous player in the history of the club. Three premierships, 17, 19, and 20. Um, it's it, a huge, huge hole to fill for that Richmond football club. But at least he's going out on his own. And to me, that's saying everything. Now... Enough about the negative. Let's talk a little positive because Dangerfield is about ready to celebrate this weekend his 300th game as a player in the AFL. He's five games away from being an even split. Playing 150 games for Adelaide and 150 games for Geelong. Five games away. Being the fifth player ever in the history of the game to do such a thing. Um, a great career. I'm saying when Dangerfield is on fire, he can't be stopped. That 2016 Brownlow Medal season, um, he was magic, plain and simple. He was straight magic. And I think the only thing that could could top this season for this 300 or put a cap on it is for him to finally lead Geelong the hoops to a flag. And right now he's setting them up with that possibility because they're playing some incredible, incredible footy. So congratulations to, to Dangerfield on 300 this weekend. Hopefully he gets through the game. He looked rejuvenated last week, but he gets through it with, with barely any nicks or cuts of the blade. I'm sorry, nicks or bruising. And then finally, back to Richmond. Huge signing, 
Daniel Rioli, the electric defender for the club, signed a five-year extension with Richmond. Um, that's probably going to see him, since he's 25, probably going to see him be a lifetime Richmond Tiger. And his words were, I can't think of a better scenario or a better place that I'd want to be. Meaning that he's very, very happy to be a one-club player. Uh, I think most people dream about being a one-club player. Um, But I think he's got a lot of footy left in front of him. And I think he's going to be key if Richmond is going to go on that finals march I think they possibly could do this year. Um, So congratulations uh, for such a great career so far. And I can't wait to see what these five years have in store for Daniel Rioli. So now, I kind of told you what I thought the layout was going to be going into finishing off with this top eight. But let's go over some picks. You saw your Shedadamas was perfect with his AFL picks, nine for nine. Let me say that again, nine for nine. But we start off round 23 with the showdown at the GABA. The D's versus the Lions. I'm going with the D's. The be the man, you got to beat the man like the nature boy. Woo! Would say... I think the D's find a way to get a victory over the Lions and knock down that number three position. Dockers versus the Giants. I got the Dockers, even though the GWS Giants have played some really good football lately. And finally, Sunday, Suns versus the Ruse to close it out. I've got the Suns. There's no way and no reason for me to think the Ruse are going to come out of that. Saturday, we've got the Eagles versus the Cats. I'm taking the hoops. It's dangerous 300th. There's no way that the Eagles are going to beat the Cats. Tigers versus the Bombers. I've got the Tigers. They're playing. They're flying right now. Just to me, the question is, do we see Dustin Martin in this game? Crows versus the Power. There's no way that Robbie Gray is going to finish his career losing to the Crows. I've got the Power playing an inspired brand of footy, getting the victory, over Adelaide this weekend. And then, closing out Saturday, Bulldogs versus the Hawks. I do think the Dogs win that game and get into the 8th position because I've got the Pies beating the Blues. I've got the Pies coming over the top. Still not finishing in the top 4, but coming over the top and beating the Blues. And I've got the Swans beating the Giants. So, That's where we stand in the AFL. It is going to be a Tums weekend for the Australian Football League. So let's go to the guns. I don't, listen, I could give you guys 15 guesses, but you better hit it on number one. My number one gun for the week, Mr. Eight Goals himself, Tom Lynch. Eight goals, 18 disposals, 14 kicks, four handballs. 12 marks, one tackle, 393 meters gained. You got to say for Richmond, what better time for Tom Lynch to start playing like the player they were hoping he was going to be when they got him from the Suns. He's starting to look like he's he's ready to be that guy. And he's going to have to be that guy if they're going to get another flag. But right now, the Tigers and Lynch look really, really good. Number two, Selwyn Cabo. The, tri- the treble, three tries, 196 running meters, three line breaks, 10 tackle breaks, three tackles made, and 16 kicking meters. 
selling Cabo, showing again why he is maybe the future of Brisbane. He could play about two to three different positions. The man is a freak. And then finally, I'm going to give some love to Surf City, Australia. I was going to say Surf City, USA. But the Gold Coast is not in the United, excuse me, divided states. I've got to keep you guys on track. AJ Brimson, the majestic one. One try, 153 running meters, two line breaks, one try assist, eight tackle breaks, 22 tackles made, 57 kicking meters. I will say this again. I am so happy for how dismal the season's been for Gold Coast to see these guys happy. And I don't know what happened. I really don't know what happened. But they played such an inspired brand of football. This is the reason I thought they were going to be in the eight this year. Because of the brand of football we just watched them play. So congratulations to A.J. Brimson and the Gold Coast Titans for an incredible win and an incredible performance by A.J. Now as we go outside the bubble, we don't talk a lot about MLB. We talk about the Swingin' Friars a little bit. But we're going to talk about the Texas Rangers. A club to me that has really fallen off, to put that plain and simple. Um... But they've made two huge moves in the last couple of days. They fired their manager, Chris Woodward. And today, they fired their president of baseball operations, John Daniels. A guy who's been with the club since 2005. A guy that did lead the Rangers through some pretty promising times and a pretty promising era for the club. Probably its best. But since 2016, it's been tough times for the Rangers. The Rangers moved out of a stadium, to me, that was an incredible stadium, so much so that Yershed Adam has had his bachelor party, or part of it, at that stadium. And it was one of the coolest stadiums I've ever been to. But that wasn't good enough because they didn't want to put a million dollars down from the beginning to put a retractable roof on when they built that gem. So guess what? They already destroyed it and already built a new stadium. And you wonder why these organizations don't know how to handle the little things when they can just drop millions and billions of dollars building stadiums because they messed up a little bit of something. Insanity. But you can't have the payroll, because let's go over this payroll real quick. Big signings this offseason by the Rangers. Corey Seager, $325 million. Marcus Simeon, $175 million. John Gray, $56 million. And the team right now is sitting on a 52-64 and 64 record with a brand new stadium. You, you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't have a losing record. You can't not be trying to play for postseason play without there being some heads rolling. And people have been asking for John Daniels' head for a little while. Myself, I'm bringing back Wash. I think Ron Washington needs to come back to the Texas Rangers. I think Wash needs to come back and to bring that love and that enthusiasm for the club. Uh, John Daniels will be gone. I think that's what you do. You go get Wash. But that's me. Right now, Chris Young, the GM, is going to take over for, for John Daniels. And Tony Beasley, who got his first victory last night, a 2-1 to victory uh, for the Rangers, is the interim manager. So, you know, I know I would love to have Wash back there, but let's see what Beasley can do for the rest of the season. 
He's kind of done some changes already, bringing the guys together, having him be a little bit more uniformed. So we'll see. We'll see if that has something. But huge movement um, with that. And finally, because I know a lot of guys in the AFL, in the NRL, love some NBA basketball. Huge news broke this morning as well. LeBron James has inked a two-year extension with the Lakers for $97.1 million. So that means this night's uh, tab is on LeBron. Uh, But no, it looks like by every means LeBron has sold himself on the fact that he will finish his career with the Los Angeles Lakers. And I think it's quite fitting that he does since he has so much uh, movie aspirations and is probably going to go in that direction of production and, and, and trying to take Hollywood by storm, not as an actor. So, huge news for LeBron, and, and you're welcome, City of Angels. You're keeping the king. Shedheads, I hope you're as enthusiastic that you're ready to start mainlining some Monster Energy rock star. You guys choose, because tonight and this entire weekend is going to be some primetime footy. Hope you're ready for it. Try to send me a little bit of that energy. Try to send me a little bit of that love. Yoshe Adamas did just miss one game in picks. I think I deserve it. But until next week, take care of your friends, take care of your family, and take care of yourselves. And until the next time I see you, stay out of trouble. Don't get caught. This has been Outside the Sheds. I am your Shed Adamas, Mr. 16 of 17. Until next week, see ya. And that was another fantastic episode of Outside the Sheds with Corey Jackson talking all things NRL, AFL, and all things sports. So please remember to smash the subscribe button and share this with your family and friends and show them what Australian sport is all about. 